Welcome to the Universal Sisterhood podcast. We're hoping to create a place where women can delve deeper, lift their gaze higher, live freer, laugh louder, smile brighter, and be the authentic woman they were designed to be. Every human heart is created to be known, loved, and understood. So this is the place where women can share their stories. Welcome to episode 30. In today's episode, I chat with Joan. She is an 82-year-old mother, wife, grandmother, great-grandmother. She has years and years of wisdom. She has lived a very full life, but a life that probably in her 20s, if somebody told her this is how her life would pan out, she would not happily accept it. Um, But as you'll see, she'd live it all again. Um, While she was telling me her story, I just kept thinking of that um, quote, uh, that that saying that um, the worst thing that could possibly happen would be for everything to go exactly as we wanted it. For that would be the end of any growth. And as we all know, life is about growing. We have to be continually growing, otherwise we are dead. Like our lives lack meaning. Um, They lack um, moving forward. Uh, They're stuck. So as you'll see, Joan's life is continually a, a process of growing, of forgiving, of generosity, of surrender, of trust, of um, a, a, real, a real journey of faith. And as you will hear, it didn't come overnight. It takes a lifetime. Uh, it's a process. And God is always there in the deepest, darkest moments, in the uh, confusion, in the um, joy, if, if we allow him in, um, we have to be open to his grace. Um, you'll enjoy listening to Joan. Okay, so good morning. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jessica. Um, so I wanted to start this podcast by just reflecting on a few things that I've read recently um, mm-hmm. and then we'll get into who you are. Thank you. Um, the highest and most fruitful form of human freedom is found in accepting. Um, it's easy and natural to go along when things are, are pleasant and relatively easy, but when things start to get difficult and hard and ultimately make us suffer, it's hard to choose and accept what we don't want. Um, there is this paradoxical law of human life where one cannot become truly free unless one accepts not being always free and I think our um, society's concept of freedom is unlimited choices when really Mm -hmm. those end up being quite destructive. Yes, very Um, true. Yeah. Very, very true. But Mm -hmm. I wanted to um, read a quote here from Jacques Philippe Mm -hmm. and he says, to achieve true interior freedom we must train ourselves to accept peacefully and willingly Plenty of things that seem to contradict our freedom. This means consenting to our personal limitations, our weaknesses, our powerlessness, this or that situation that life imposes on us, and so on. 
We find it difficult to do this because we feel a natural revulsion for situations we cannot control. But the fact is that the situations that really make us grow are precisely those that we do not control. Mm -hmm. And your life has, to me, is a real example of that because by all intents and purposes, um, by 22 you were married to a handsome, fit, Mm. successful pharmacist. That's correct, yes. Um, You had five children in quick succession, am I right? five beautiful children, yes. Um, And you lived a happy and secure life. Very much so, yes, we did. So let's fast forward ten years. Mm -hmm. Can you explain um, what that looked like? Well... Uh, um, to be quite honest, um, I didn't. Um, I didn't understand mental illness, and um, I, I didn't. Uh, there was no one in my family that had ever been in that position, so I I wasn't familiar with it. And I was only young. I had all my children, and you know, around me and um, at different stages of their lives. And um, I had a little man that was very much dependent on me as his mother because of his disability. So and he, he was your youngest? He's my He was my youngest. Mm-hmm. And um, when I was told about um, Anthony's disability, I felt shocked and um but I, I thought, oh, I'll get through this. I've just got to make sure he's, we get his dad well. Mm. But unfortunately, mental illness isn't a thing that is, um, it's not a sickness that is healed overnight. Mm. And um, uh, for, for many, many years um, through um, that period, um, my husband Richard was in and out of psychiatric hospitals um, we were trying to manage a pharmacy. Um, we tried to keep that uh, afloat mm. without um, um, interfering in the security of our lives. But um, unfortunately, um, we had to be very honest with ourselves and we had to more or less step out of the pharmacy. And so I didn't have that security. Mm. I didn't have that wage coming in. And um, my father very kindly took me to um, Centrelink and um, and supported me so that I was able to financially support my needs and my children's needs. And um, it was a very, very, uh, very terrible time. When Life I turned up. It's it just turned up completely, Jessica, upside down. So your husband was institutionalized. Yes, he was. He was, and I was told at that time that um, it could take some months. Mm -hmm. Well, it took eight months before he was allowed to come home and spend the weekend with us. So home life was not at home. Home life was was our home life was broken, completely mm-hmm. broken. There was daddy wasn't around, Richard wasn't there for me, mm-hmm. um, you know. And then he was um, he wasn't getting any better, so he was transferred 
from one hospital to the next and from that hospital to another hospital. And um, it just was sort of we were on a merry-go-round, just seemed to be on this merry-go-round, just going around and around and around, and there didn't seem to be any answers. So, and really I, I got to a point where um, I didn't see any hope. Mm. I couldn't, there was no hope. And yet I had the children wondering where Daddy was and why is Daddy not with us and, um, you know, and, and it was very difficult to try and sit them down and, and explain to them um, what was happening because, you know, children don't, don't understand. I mean, I was, you know, I really didn't understand what was going on either. Mm. But, um, you know, I just I had to really find an inner strength within me to, su- to support my children, to support myself and to carry on. And um, How would you say your faith life was at this point in your life? Well, I always had a faith hmm. and I, um, but I felt, um, I felt very mixed up because I couldn't understand why God did this. I blamed God. Hmm. I kept saying, God, why have you done this? To us, what have we done to deserve this? Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I said, you know, I've I've accepted that I've got a special child that's always going to need my guidance and support, but I can't do it on my own. Mm-hmm. But if you just get Richard well for me, um, we'll manage. Mm-hmm. But that didn't happen, mm-hmm. and so we went from one one. As I said, one psychiatric hospital to the other, and um, so I really, I really didn't. I mean, I, I went to mass every Sunday, but I really didn't have a depth of faith because mm-hmm. I was still in this dilemma of why did this happen? Mm-hmm. Were you ever depressed? Like, did you? Get oh, to very. A point of- yes, I was very depressed. I was lonely. Mm-hmm. I was depressed. I used to wait up till late at night, um, you know, trying to um, do, do things around the house to keep myself busy, so that when I went to bed, I'd just sleep. But so you I wouldn't was, have to think. I wouldn't have to think. I'd make myself feel exhausted. Mm-hmm. But then life is life continues on. Mm-hmm. Children have to get ready for school. Um, you know, all that um, normal lifestyle continues. But it continues with great difficulty, mm-hmm. great difficulty. So um, family, did they play an important role, extended family? or? Well, my, my um, parents um, played a very important role in my situation, uh, plus my sisters and um, their spouses. And, um, <coughs> and a family. You'll find out who are your friends yeah. when this type of thing happens, when everything's bright and everyone's happy and mm. things are going well and people look up to you, um, you know, but when something's not uh, on a different level, mm. um, people are inclined to just wander away from you and you you feel very isolated, whereas, you know, it, and even your children feel um they know their life is different. Yeah. But um I know it's one thing being able to process this and deal with this 
on your own, but having five children as well, it must have been quite an emotional tug on on you to be able to uh, uh, make them feel secure or do? Oh, yes, yes. But uh, I've always been myself um, through my families. I've always been supported by love. Hmm. So I knew love played a huge part in in the, the, the children's lives and also in mine. I received my love through my parents and my sisters and my brother-in-laws. Uh, but um, and the children, I kept them very active in sport and they had their friends in, uh, in their sport, their schooling. And so... Um, they had that consistency. They had a consistency and I made sure of that, yes. Mm, and I tried to have um, – we didn't have the happy um, home that we we um, were used to, but um, I, I, they knew – the children knew they were deeply loved by their father especially. I kept making sure that – they realised their father loved them dearly and it wasn't that he had gone away and neglected them. But he, and, you know, I said he wasn't well, but, of course, they didn't understand what, as I said earlier, what mental illness was all about. Mm. So... Would they see him on... Well, I used to take the children to see him, but some days when they were in the presence of their dad, they um, he, he acknowledged them but some days he was distant. Yeah. So this went on for eight months. This went on for eight months. So he comes home? He came home from the first psychiatric hospital and then he was only home a short period and um, he um, he became very, um, very concerned about our future mm. and um, to the extent that... Um, mm, we were living in a converted garage that mm-hmm. my parents had converted into a little flat mm-hmm. and uh, we were all there. And uh, But then I think when Richard realised what, how far we had reduced, descended, our, descended he, he didn't want that for any of us. Mm-hmm. So he, he did have suicidal thoughts mm-hmm. towards us mm-hmm. and himself mm-hmm. and um, it was it came very evident one night that um, he um, I mean he he would never want to hurt us never he loved us too much mm-hmm. to want to ever hurt us but I think he's he's in his mixed up mind I think he felt that if if we lost our lives we'd go straight to heaven mm-hmm. but and he, he was so mixed up and so confused. so confused and living in this dark, dark hole that he couldn't see any light at all, mm. um, that that's, we'd be better off that way. Mm. But um, fortunately, um, uh, my, you know, we were able to um, make sure that didn't wasn't carried through mm. and... Um, he went back into hospital and um, this time he went to another hospital and um, he was there for about um, 
three months when one day I got a phone call to say that they wanted to see me. Mm. So, you know, I thought, oh, what's happening? And I turned to my mother and I said to my mother, Mum, I can't understand this. I can't understand why God's doing this to us. To us. You know, why, why us? And she said, Joan, God will only try you as far as you can cope with it. And I said, well, Mum, I have come to the end mm. and I don't think I'll ever go back to Mass. Mm. And she said, no, he will only try you as far as you can go. And I said, well, Mum, I've gone as far as I can. I can't take any more. That particular day I went over to where he was in hospital and the doctor that was attending to him called me into his rooms and he said, Joan, I'd like you to meet this Professor Kylo. He's visiting here and he has seen Richard and um, I want you to have a talk with him. And um, I went into where he was um, engaged in conversation with Richard and um, Richard said to me, I've made a decision. But, of course, doctor here, this is the doctor, he um, wants your approval. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, what's the decision, doctor or professor? And he said, look, he said, in America we're doing these, they're doing these operations on people with long-term mental illness. Um, so we've tried everything, but... Let's go with this, and but I need your approval because Richard has given his, but this, you know, there is um, something could go wrong. So it's up to you whether you yourself can cope. Mm. And um, so I said, um, yes, if Richard's agreed to it, I'll agree to it. So it was what they call a um, leucotomy. It's the frontal lobe of the brain. Mm. They sever. And um, that gives um, a, um, a release of, of this constant worry, constant feeling of damn, um, of heaviness, heaviness in, in their mind. <laughs> yeah. um, and um, we, we decided. But it took about three months before they performed the operation because it's not something they do lightly. So are we going on like this is the second year? Like because if he was in hospital for he was in hospital nine months, then nine months, three, three. Then yes, this this would he would have been um, uh, one, two. This is about the third year of his mental illness. So it was three years in and out of in of hospitals, psychiatric hospitals, and each each time it'd be like six months in each hospital. And um, different psychiatrists. I can fully understand why and, you thought you'd reached the end of your. Yes, death. well, I remember the uh, the um, the um, one psychiatrist at at um, Caritas at St Vincent's. He said to me it was all self inflicted, oh. and I said, "Well, I don't believe that, doctor." I said, "My husband wouldn't do this to his family or to me." Mm. I said, "I can't see how it's." self-inflicted mm. and he was most adamant that it was so you know I was so confused yeah. and um but anyway he did go through having the economy and um um so 
we it, his success rate was 85% and he was the highest that they ever, the wow. result was the highest that they ever got. So, so do know, they perform that operation today or not? No, no. they don't, right. no. I recently spoke to a professor of psychiatry from Westmead Hospital and he said, no, they don't do it. Mm-hmm. And, um, but... Um, that was, you know, because they have drugs. Today. Well, they have drugs today, and they have what they call lithium, lithium, which is supposed to be a um, as in the batteries. Yes, and it's supposed to be the the uh, top drug drug for mental illness. Right. But Richard was on that as well, and for twenty three years. Um, after he had the lycotomy, mm-hmm. he was on lithium. But the lithium was, they didn't know a great deal about it, but it did work. Mm-hmm. But it caused side effects. And the side effects of lithium was because it was a metal, it damaged the kidneys. Oh. And he ended up. Did he need dialysis? He, he, he ended did. up having. Yes. yes. Okay. He ended up being on dialysis for seven years. Mm-hmm. Mm. Right. So that, again, um, that period too was, you know, you thought, oh, we've come through, it's like a, a huge wave, you know. Mm-hmm. We've got through that rode one. that one. And got, yes, rode that one out. And, um, and then another one, you know. So the journey's been one of, you know, if you didn't have your, if honestly, Jessica, if I didn't have my faith now that I have, I grew, my faith grew in that period. Mm-hmm. And if I didn't have that faith, I, um, I feel, you know, sometimes you say, why did God let this happen? But God has a plan for all of us. And some, I really believe now that I became a much better person. All my children um, have never given me an ounce of problem. I never touched drugs. Um, they live good lives, they mm. responsible people, good fathers, good husbands, and the same regarding my daughter. So through all that terrible darkness and and uncertainty and um, loneliness, I mean, there were so many um, years of it, but we, I could honestly say, I look back now and I think, you know, they were blessings. All this was blessings, and I kept saying, "Why have you done this to me?" Mm. You know. But so you said um, that you said to your mother that you, you know, you couldn't cope anymore. Mm. Um, Richard had the surgery. Mm. Uh, what was the lifeline that that now, in hindsight, you see that God through gave you generously gave you? Um, you said that. Well, the lifeline. Um, after the after the surgery, there was a change in Richard's personality from the surgery. Yes, which which they did warn you, which they did warn me, yeah. and um, where he was a very um, he, he, well, he was always very academic, but where he was a, a reserve, quiet man, he became quite out, you know. Um, an entertainer. <laughs> an entertainer and, um, you know, enjoyed having a whiskey mm. 
not just a whiskey, but a few whiskeys. And um, so, would you say, as far as an alcoholic, or well, verging, had a drinking, verging on that, verging mm-hmm. on that. But um, he, um, yes, I'd say verging on that. But I, I think the, uh, you know, alcohol is a lifter. Yeah, it lifts you up. And but after the the alcohol um, deteriorates in in your body, you go flat, especially if you drink heavily. Um, this is what this is what happens to you. Mm. Plus, there was other drugs that were in his system as well. It was well. On a cocktail. Of- it was a cocktail, yeah. yes, and that was very enjoyable. The mm. cocktail was very enjoyable too. Him, yeah, uh, not to members not. of the family or myself. Mm. Mm. So <clears throat> I thought to myself, well, this is—I don't think I can cope with this. But out of the blue, I had a, a visit from a very dear friend, and um, who helped me get through these years with my youngest son Anthony, who had the disability, um, intellectual disability, and um, so with her help. She said to me, look, I've been asked to open by the uh, Bishop of Parramatta um, to open a community home for people with disabilities because there are a lot of families out there who parents were in their 80s and 70s and they didn't have any family around them at all. They were worried about what was going to happen to their offspring if anything happened to the to them, mm. and so the bishop decided to start community homes for people with special needs, and I became the first coordinator in the first home in Rose Hill for those very precious special people. And so you moved out. You moved. In I with, moved, moved out of your family home. Yes. And moved in with yes. Anthony, Anthony was at. A, boarding school, a private boarding school in Bathurst. Mm-hmm. My other boys were in boarding school and so I decided that this is the time I could get away from my circumstances and yet be still be part of it mm-hmm. and be free, have that freedom. Yeah. And um, so I took the position and it was the the real beginning of who Joan was Mm. because I walked in to that through that door and sitting in the lounge room were all these beautiful faces and there were people with um, physical disabilities, um, people with Down syndrome, people with um, blind Mm. you know it was it was just amazing and even though some of them couldn't see or couldn't understand who I was or whatnot, they all had these smiles from one ear to the other. And I thought, this is this is just wonderful. And immediately I just felt a great feeling of warmth and it was like as if I've, uh, I've come home. Yeah. You, you finally realised where you belong or who who you are. Who I am and and I belong here. Yes, Mm -hmm. I belong here. So it was the beginning of my faith journey Mm -hmm. because um, 
they accepted me through my brokenness and they didn't really understand my brokenness, but that didn't matter. Mm. They just accepted me for who I was and, of course, I accepted them for who they were. But I had a deeper understanding for who they were because I had a child who was already um, living with his disability. Mm. So, And I had a husband too with his disability. So, you know, out of brokenness you can find joy and trust and, um, and above all you can find God. So would you say that before this encounter with moving into Emmaus House that you were always um, putting up, putting on a front or putting up, putting a mask on to hide what was happening in your personal life and these people gave you the ability to just be you? Very much so because um, when, um, well, you know, my husband being a pharmacist in a a semi-country town, and um, um, you get, you know, people look up to you because you've got status, I suppose. Mm. And um, not that that was my outlook at all, but um, it felt good. The, the the people in the in the township, they had, you know, you felt you're on a bit of a pedestal. But I, I wasn't on a pedestal, but they put you on that. Mm. And we were always invited to whatever was happening, and um, you know. Um, Richard, my husband was on the board of Nepean House. He was, he, you know, he had very, he was a very academic man. He had a, a very insight into the world and what the world's needed and everything. And of course, you know, his life just became like a, um, it was very, very. Train wreck. Well, a train wreck is, is true. Yeah. And I mean, it took years, Jessica, to put those pieces back together. And um, so, sorry, I was just, so when you lose someone, mm-hmm. the fact that, like, you may not have physically, well, you f- didn't physically lose your husband, but you lost the man who you knew mm-hmm. through the, the, yeah. the um, operation and the drugs mm-hmm. and the alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, your. You know, you're, you're kind of like you have your own identity crisis, I suppose, because your identity was probably wrapped up in him and his position and um, so you're left there trying to pick up the pieces but really you're left trying to find out who you are. Yes, yes. And, and do you see, do you think that Emmaus House being around all these broken humans was... God's gift to you so that you could find most definitely most definitely most definitely yes most definitely it was um, God's gift to me in many many ways and um, but it took me a long time to find that you know Mm. I didn't find it overnight Mm. I'd gone through you know a very difficult period very difficult periods um wondering whether I should just walk away from it all or um, but then there was, you know, um, Our Lady never left Jesus, did he? Did she? Mm. She was always there to the very end. And, as, um, ugly, as ugly and uh, as yes, broken yes, as the situation yes, was. Yes, yes, because she was his mother and I was Richard's wife 
and um, you know that's today. You know, married life is a very precious thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not all, as they say, a bed of roses, but. <laughs> If you really and truly love someone and you really and truly love Jesus and our Blessed Mother and St Joseph, if you really and truly love the heavenly kingdom and that's your journey, that's where we're all wanting to be one day, then you have to be connected to the cross because God said, take up your cross and follow me. And... Those little things that happened to me are nothing compared to what our Blessed Mother suffered, nothing. Um, Our Lady, she didn't walk away from the cross. No. Um, I wanted to say that um, being in a mayor's house, being with these uh, physically broken people, although they were physically broken, um, spiritually, they're probably more in tune than we ever could imagine or ever wish to be. Well, they, you know, I've always um, there's a, um, there's a, a poem that I once read, and it was um, God has a special child. Where shall we send this special child? And um, so the angels say said to God, Well, God, there's a special family down there. And they will accept this special child. And so I was told Anthony ha- had his difficulties when he was only two. Mm-hmm. Um, and, Anth- and his father was operated on about uh, three weeks before I was told about Anthony's oh, condition. Wow. So it wasn't something I knew from birth. I mean, he was. You had a lot to deal with, or in in a whole, and even to the the extent that I, I as I said earlier in the conversation, I I was living in a garage, mm. converted garage. So my children were in care. Mm. Um, in those days, it was called like an orphanage, mm-hmm. but today it's, they say the child is like in care. care? No, not well. Not foster care. They were. It, it was a home. group of 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 um, sisters of mercy um, that had this orphanage, mm-hmm. but they don't call them orphanages today. No. But they did in in those days. But I say care. Yeah. And they were in this care, and they were there for twelve months. Now, the day I had to take the children, not my daughter or Anthony, mm-hmm. they were left at home with me because they. They um, and Marianne had to help me with mm. Anthony, but the boys, my three little boys, mm. and the day I left them, uh, I, it broke my heart mm. because they didn't they didn't understand what was going on. You know, you try to explain to them, Daddy's sick. Well, when's Daddy going to get better? Because sometimes I get sick, but then I get better. But Daddy wasn't getting better. But anyway, I mean, all those things that were happening were were major things. They were huge things that were happening. They weren't something that could be fixed overnight. You know, they were major things. And I had to, you know, depart. I was such a 
a caring and loving mother. My children were my world. They still are. Mm. But um, the thing is that, you know, when I look back now at my age of 82, I think to myself, how did you do it, old girl? Mm. You know, because I really wonder, um, because there weren't the the um, the aids out there, if I could use like, the there weren't, there wasn't the help um, and families didn't even want to help you because it was like, oh, sweep that under the carpet. Yeah, things weren't discussed as that, like no, they are today. No, and I think it's, and not even religious. Mm. The religious didn't have the training either mm. to help people. So they couldn't. People like yeah. me. They weren't properly uh, trained to help struggling mothers or fathers because they didn't understand what was all going on either. So you got through they it were purely on grace. <laughs> purely on grace. Mm. Yes, purely on grace. I didn't know it was grace. Yeah. I thought it was me being clever. I didn't know it was grace, but today I can assure you I'm very aware that mm. it was the grace of God um, that got me through, yes. Okay. It's like that poem, you know. Um, the footsteps in the sand. Yeah, footprints in the sand. Footprints in the sand, yes. But I didn't know he had me in his arms. Mm, all along. Yeah. I mean, you could very easily become a victim and you haven't at all. Like, no. you know, that victim mentality, you know. I No. Why no. is me, I, you know. No, because you I. Know why you haven't. I, said, I, tell I, I read it. I read it this morning. People who have learned how to love realize that they're not victims and you've learned you love to the to the you know tops of your head to the bottoms of your toes well it's beautiful well thank you Jessica but I have to give that credit to my loving mother and father Mm. because we weren't people of wealth Mm. but we were people of wealth because we had love Mm. The inability to love comes most often from our lack of faith and our lack of hope. So your parents obviously had strong faith. They did. And and strong hope. That's right. And I think that's what people lack today. I think so. I, I look around and I, I hear. The materially wealthy well, and spiritually. everybody's materially wealthy. You've just got to drive around the streets and see these huge homes and and um, everything that double garages where they've got the latest car but really and truly when it's all when it comes down to the very senior years of your life and you you sit down some days and you think well well god am am i ready um um you know i want to please send the holy spirit to guide me Mm -hmm. because i want to really be ready i just don't want to be half ready Mm -hmm. so you know i want to have time to prepare myself to greet you in heaven. But um, I think the young ones today, there's too much, you know, selfishness, materialism, and I think it's up to the parents, the good Catholic parents in the world today to put put aside the wealth, put aside the ambitions to, if the ambitions in their lives are neglecting their children, then I think they can't expect to have a good relationship with them mm. as they grow up. 
I, I read because I'm reading this book on freedom, and I, he says here this false idea of freedom has profound repercussions on the behaviour of young people today, including their approach to marriage or other forms of commitment. They put off making a final choice because choice is perceived as a loss of freedom. And they don't want, they want to leave their options open to the very mm. end. Mm. But by doing that, mm. they, don't, they don't dare to decide and never actively live. They never become fully alive because they're, they're always too, too frightened of, of uh, not having a choice. Mm -hmm. And marriage, you have to choose one person above all others. Mar marriage is a sacrifice. Mm. You know, because no longer can you just think of you hmm. or, you or you know, you've got to think of your husband and you've got to think of the gifts of children that God will give you. So, you know, you have, it's a, it's, you like, it's a sacrifice. And if you're willing to take that very seriously, you, you'll have great blessings. Hmm. But if you're only half-hearted about it and think to yourself, oh, well, I want to do my thing and he can do his thing or, you know, you can't be like that. You can't because you don't get your rewards that way. I want to go back to um, trusting God with your brokenness, mm. back to Emmaus House where you actually discovered who you were. Yes. Um there were these people you were living with who weren't hiding, they weren't trying to fix things. And I think no. that's what we, our default is yeah. to to hide behind our masks. We'll mm. try and fix others. Mm. We will try and um, numb our feelings. Mm. Um, where these people were, mm. their feelings were there. They couldn't suppress their feelings. No. They were there on display. That's right. Um, their brokenness was there on display. That's right. And I think um, we can't pretend those things away and when we're, are open to it that's when we become we live we live in, we live into live into a and they're, they're not um um they're not um hesitant to ask for help hmm. you know that's true. they re they accept what limitations they have hmm. and we all have limitations but we all try to be the the power self-sufficient self -sufficient. Yeah, we can do it on our we own we can do it on our own i don't need uh, what's this God? Who, who's yeah. God? I don't need him. Yeah, I don't need to rely on anyone else but myself because yes. everyone else lets me down. Yes, exactly. Well, yes, everyone else lets you down but there's one person that won't let you no, down. No, he never lets you down. You might have to wait a while but, of course, our our time is not God's time. Yeah. Um, all right. Now, before we finish up because mm. our time is almost running out, you, I want you to tell me this Getting back to love and marriage, you never gave up on your marriage as hard as it was and as difficult and as challenging and as unpredictable as it was. You never gave up on your marriage, which you are to be commended. Thank you. Um, and you never stopped loving him, even never. though it hurt. And and I want you to tell our listeners that the last day you, you spent with Richard, what... Because I think it, uh, it resonated with me. So I thought about what you told me for weeks. I still think about it. Um, you never know that last moment. Uh, no. And you should, 
Well, I'll let you. I'll let you well, tell me. Tell well, us. Well, Jessica, um, Richard was in hospital. I knew things weren't good as far as his health was concerned, but I mean, you know, they say um, you never know when God's going to call you. And um, I was there with him um, during the, um, the the Monday, and um, you know it was a very dark cloud came across, and I thought, oh, I better get moving. So I leant over to him and I said, darling, I think I better go now because it's getting dark. Uh, it, there's a storm brewing, and but I'll see you at dialysis tomorrow. I'll be there. And he said, all right, darling. And with that, the social worker walked in uh, into the room and <clears throat> and he uh, said, oh, well, I'll leave now because um, Bronwyn's here to see you. And he said, just a minute. And I said, why? What's happening? And, uh, you know, in my sort of um, uh, thinking of the dark clouds and Bronwyn walking into the room, I was walking out without saying goodbye in a loving way hmm. and um, he said to me, Joe, come back here. And I said, what is it, darling? And he said, you haven't kissed me. Oh, I said, I'm so sorry. So I bent over and I've got a terrible habit of offering people my head. <laughs> my, no one wants you My forehead. <laughs> and um, and um, he said, no, I don't want your head. I want your lips. And I said, oh, gosh, and I, 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 this embarrassing feeling came over me because of this woman standing beside us and I kissed him on the lips and um, and that was the last. You get me unstuck now. That was the last time we had together. Mm. But it was a precious moment and I just think to myself how often we let these precious moments go by. Even if, you know, we might be busy at the sink or we might be busy ironing or something, but, you know, just that little moment to show your love. Always keep it alive. Mm. Always keep your love alive. And, um, you know, always be humble because to forgive, you've got to be humble. Yeah. And there's a lot of forgiving in marriage, a lot of forgiving. <laughs> Daily. But you can you can do it if you take on the role of saying, am I perfect? You've got to question your own perfection. Yep. If I, I can say, no, I'm not perfect, then you you have to see that in others. That's right. Mm. Love transfigures everything. Mm. It does. Mm. How beautiful. Very, it does. And um, it's only sometimes it's a little bit sad because you don't realise the depth of that mm. until it's a person's left you or you're getting older. Yeah. And, um, you know, and you realise, like with your children, you know, you, th you um, realise that um, you, sh you should at least – Contact your families. Contact your siblings. Mm. Make time for them. Be intentional about making. Be, make time mm. for them. Mm. And, um, you know, it's so uh, just a phone call. Let if them you can't, know they matter. Just let them know that they, they matter by your little gestures or a card popped in the letterbox. 
and you know we can always send a little card I'm thinking of you and you know we do texts these days oh, well, don't text, but yes yes well of course um, <laughs> I'm, card I'm, I'm still with the cards yeah, no. but um, just texting one another and say you know I really really love you mm. and um, you know it's just so important to let people know how much they're loved oh, beautiful mm. well before we go you have to think of something that brought you joy can you think of something that brought you joy? Well, this week or this week? Yeah. Oh no. Enjoy whatever. <laughs> well, I what, do it this week, but you can think of something. What, um, well, I think the um, well the the, um, the joy I enjoy uh, this week. Your daughter didn't 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 um. Well, I uh, my sister just had her 80th birthday, and that brought me a great joy, um, because we're very close, and um, we're you know we're, I've got two sisters, and um, there's a little bit of a gap between my uh, second sister and my and myself, but we're all like three peas in a pod. You are. Even though there's a 15-year gap yeah, between the... but we're all... I don't love one more than the other yeah. because the love that... You like the Holy the Trinity. The love that we shared, the Holy Trinity is right because if we haven't got the three together, we're not right. Yeah, how beautiful. But anyway... My, um, mine is I went to a wedding oh. on, the, on the weekend of a dear, dear, dear family that I have... Um, haven't seen in a long time and, and it was like no time had passed. I know. It was so beautiful. I know. Really yeah. beautiful. Yeah. But that's, see, people, God sent you gifts. And that was a, such a gift. a gift. Yeah. And the touch of their lives at some stage, years gone by, yeah. touched your life. Yeah, and totally. If it's a gift, if it's meant from, if it's sent from God, then it's something very special that you'll never ever no. forget. I, it's so true, and it, but it was like no time had passed, and we yeah. were. It was. Oh, it was so beautiful. I had such a beautiful. Well, you time. know, there's a saying: time, distance, and time, distance, and space doesn't keep anybody apart. Oh, how beautiful! Yeah. If, oh. it's, if it's meant to be. I'm gonna write that down. I'm I'm welling up again. Well. Thank you so much for recording. Well, thank you, Jessica. We didn't it's need been, the scotch. It's been, it's been. A, uh, well, I'm happy that um, um, you know. I think, as you said a little bit of time ago, that the Holy Spirit talks to us, and if we really hear the Holy Spirit asking us to be part of something, it's for a special reason. Yeah, and maybe in years to come, when I'm pleased guy with Jesus in heaven. Um, someone might hear this story and be in a little bit of a dilemma, a similar journey that I've been on, and um, give them hope. Yeah, and know they're not alone. And know that not alone. God said, I'm with you mm. to the end of time. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jessica. Bye.